Welcome to Simple Self-Care by Naturally Randy K, a podcast about creating healing practices that align with the natural rhythms of the season and your own inner wisdom. I created this podcast to show you that self-care is more than just a buzzword and a good intention. It's a way of being that can fit into your everyday life naturally, intentionally, and simply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Simple Self-Care. And today, I'm going to keep the intro short and sweet because I really want to get to the conversation with one of my teachers and friends, Rashmi Bismarck. We met about a year ago at a yoga teacher training with Yoga Medicine with Tiffany Cruikshank, and she was co-teaching with Tiffany about meditation and mindfulness. And I'm really excited that she agreed to be on the podcast to share her wisdom about mindfulness, especially this time of year. Before we get to that, I just have a quick announcement and a reminder. If you haven't checked out my seasonal healing program yet, early bird registration is ending on Saturday, December 28th, 2019. And registration will be open after that, but there are just some early bird bonuses that you might want to get in on. So I just launched a kind of a study group, winter support group uh, for us to all study seasonal healing practices together. So it's just deepening what I talk about a lot here on the podcast. So uh, for six weeks, starting January 27th, we will have weekly live video sessions to teach the practices for the week and answer any questions. There'll be a private Facebook group so we can stay in community, keep each other accountable, and have questions throughout the week answered. There'll be on-demand instructional videos each week teaching various seasonal practices. So for winter, we're going to focus on journaling, breathwork, restorative yoga, and body oiling. So that's self-massage with herb-infused oils. That's really beautiful and powerful. Then we'll have some weekly journaling and self-reflection prompts and support on how to work through your biggest self-care obstacles. And the first 10 people to register get a free one-on-one session with me, and those spots are filling up, so be sure to get in on that. Just a few left at this point, and then you'll get access to the Simple Self-Care Masterclass and the Best Cappy online course if you register for early bird pricing. So with early bird pricing, you get $100 off the course, and... I'm hoping to make it really doable, especially for this first go round, because it's going to be a fun experiment of practicing together. So you can check that out at naturallyrandyk.com slash seasonal healing, and please get in on those early bird bonuses while you can. There'll be a link in the show notes, but also a link just in the description of wherever you are listening to this podcast. Okay. Now back to Rashmi. I'm really excited for her to share her wisdom, especially on mindfulness, because it's kind of a a buzzword right now, Um, but it's a very beautiful practice. And since this podcast was recently listed on a top podcast for mindfulness list (laughs) for pop sugar, it's perfect timing to talk about that here. 
So Rashmi starts out by sharing her personal journey of mindfully navigating the medical industry, and it's a really inspiring story and full of life lessons just from her journey. And then we move into talking about the power of slow medicine, what mindfulness even is, how to use your self-care practices to build the mindfulness muscle, the power of simple practices, and a helpful acronym to remember how to bring mindfulness into any situation. Great for the rest of your holiday gatherings. Enjoy. I wanted to thank you, Randy, for inviting me. It's been so nice to get to know you last year, and I'm really honored that you would think I have something valuable to share with your community. So. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Um, but my, na- my name's Rashmi Bismarck, and um, I am a trained physician. So I went to medical school and did my residency in preventive medicine. So as part of that, I also got my master's in public health. And my focus for that was community health and health behavior. And so during my residency training, a lot of my clinical stuff was focused on lifestyle medicine, um, as well as on mindfulness and mindfulness-based interventions for for wellness. Um, And so now that, let's see, I finished residency quite a while ago, (laughs) and my career has sort of shifted and changed partly because we move around every couple of years with my husband's profession. Um, And so we usually stay, uh, move around every two to three years globally. So um, since I've finished my training, we've lived in a number of different places. So that's kind of forced me to be a little bit more creative and think out of the box around my profession. Um, When we were back home in the US, I was teaching in med school and Uh, also developing some wellness training for medical trainees, so residents um, in the U.S. and um, at our program. And so that was really fulfilling for me. And I really loved being in academia and research. But moving around, I haven't been able to do that as much because we're never anywhere long enough for that. So as we moved around, I really started to focus my career more around mindfulness and providing mindfulness-based interventions wherever we went. Part of this moving around, um, I've learned to, again, not put myself inside of a box and just to stay open to things that that come up and opportunities that arise. So, um, for example, when we lived in Asia, I started off working in a family medical clinic teaching mindfulness-based interventions. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. And I found myself then doing some things with the school that my kids were going to. Um, They very fortunately were integrating mindfulness from K through 12, mindfulness and positive psychology. And so I had a chance to go in and do some stuff with parents and parents and teachers, um, just so that they could understand what their children were learning at school around mindfulness and how they might be able to integrate that at home for themselves and with their kids and kind of reinforce practices and things like that. And then, um, so yeah, so I, I never thought that working in that arena would be something I'd be doing, but there it was. And then. Um, when we moved back home to the US for a little while, I had an opportunity to put together um, a mindful self-care program for caregivers of cancer patients. Um, And so we piloted that at actually one of the cancer centers that I used to work at. Um, And so now here in the UK, I've been teaching that at um, a cancer support center here in the UK. For those, maybe any of your listeners who might be in the UK, there's a, 
organization called Macmillan, which is very much like American Cancer Society back home in the US. And they provide a lot of supportive care services and networking for, for patients and families. So um, here I've been sort of continuing to offer that program here and kind of refining it and changing it and things like that as well. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, I know for sure we have listeners in the UK, so I'm excited for them to be able to find you and connect with you there. Cause well, I've been interviewing a few people from across the pond recently. Nice. Well, <laughs> so, our, unfortunately, our, our time here may soon be coming. My husband's contract will soon finish up. So. Oh, no. So get in while you can. <laughs> yeah. I'm moving to location unknown as of yet. So. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, I think that is, well, there's pros and cons to to each scenario, but I feel like that as a medical professional, I think it's cool that you get to share what you do all over the world. And it's led to more of this global education and, and movement behind what you do. So yeah, it, it has been really interesting because I think, especially, especially for physicians, as with any, any profession, actually, you know, you, you're on this path that you're supposed to be on, you know, go to college, you go to med school, you go to residency, you do a fellowship, you specialize, you maybe do some research, get your first job. And, and I've really had to sort of um, be open to not taking that traditional path because very soon after my husband and I got married was his first expat assignment. So is that decision of, you know, we were like newlyweds, do I join my, do, do I just take a break and join my husband or do we stay apart <laughs> so that just mm-hmm. so that I can finish? And, you know, so, you know, a lot of, it, it's been hard though, especially in a career like medicine, because there are a lot of expectations that we place on ourselves as doctors or that the profession places upon us. And so it's really kind of been an ongoing journey for me of sort of um, letting go of needing to have my medical practice look a certain way. Um, and to just again being open, being open to what the possibilities might be. Um, I think wherever we move, I'm always my intention is always to be of service to whatever community may best benefit from what I have to offer, and just staying open to, you know, what may arise. Because as I continue to work with different communities, I learn more and more about about everyone's needs and different things, and so that helps me grow as well. So it's just been very rewarding in many ways and frustrating, but most of all rewarding to be moving around. (laughs) Yeah. Is there a common thread you see? I mean, I'm curious with all the different cultures and communities you've worked with, you know, there's going to be definitely differences and different needs, but it seems to me that there is this um, unifying growth of stress and dysfunction, unfortunately. Mm. Um, So what have you seen um, in that regard as you've um, worked all over? Is there a common kind of thread of what's causing us to be this way? (laughs) I mean, I think those situations are always different and dependent. I think one of the things is just inherently the faster pace of life these days and um, you know information being at your fingertips and 
being able to be more accessible. And so how do I draw the boundaries to create that balance with life and work or life and parenting? Because there's so much now that we could be involved with and so much more that we know, right? So how do we stay connected to um, to what really matters most when there's so much going on? Um, and so I, that's where I really do think a lot of these practices from mindfulness and yoga are so important for helping us to cultivate that relationship with ourselves and that that inner inner space of awareness really to sort of be able to connect connect to really what 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 matters most for us so that we can kind of make in, make some decisions that are more intentional for ourselves i think we can very easily get sort of caught up in the hamster wheel of life so and wherever you are around the world you know mm-hmm. yeah we kind of all have our own version of it i feel like yeah yeah so and you have you not only teach these principles, but I, my understanding is that you've really cultivated them within and have had to working in the medical field because that while it's all about healing and health, it's can be its own hamster wheel <laughs> and its yes. own, I mean, <laughs> dysfunction. So could you share some of your story with how you've come to be where you're at in the medical field? Because I know it's a little bit non-traditional and you've really had to um, soul search a bit to get to where you are. Yeah. Thanks for asking Randy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, I guess it it goes back to when I was a a kid. Um, so I, I have an autoimmune disease. I have Hashimoto's thyroid, uh, hypothyroidism. And, um, I actually was diagnosed with it as a kid when I was around eight or nine years old. And, um, so at that time, you know, it was in and out of doctors and seeing specialists, um, and we were able to get things under control. Um, but simultaneously, my mom was also really curious about how Ayurvedic medicine might be able to help me because our my family's from India, from um, Kerala, which is one of the southern states where Ayurveda is really also very, very much alive there. And so um, she had taken me to go see an Ayurvedic specialist as well. And so I was on Ayurvedic medicine as well. And um, and so that was the first time where a doctor was kind of, you know, she listened, did my pulse and knew all these things about me about, you know, and I was, I still remember at, at 10 being so amazed, you know, that she knew that my tummy would get bloated sometimes and I hadn't even told her that or, or whatever it was, you know. And so all these ideas about how the way you eat can really impact how you're doing and all these um, ways that our different um, systems within the body might be interacting. So that all started to get me curious at a young age. Um, and, you know, as as I got older, actually, the Ayurvedic medicine, you know, in combination, I'm sure, with the synthroid that I was on was really helping um, I had a period of time where I also had some more like hormonal issues going on where um, we relied more heavily on the Ayurvedic treatment that really kind of helped me. And so by the time I went to college, I was on such a minuscule dose of the Synthroid. And so um, I remember the endocrinologist was like, well, let's be real. You're going to college. You're not really going to remember to take this every day. Like, you know, let's lean in and see how you do um, if we take you off it. And um, I, I actually was quite fine all through college and um, would just go get checked every once in a while and still eating those, you know, the ways that I had been taught to, to kind of look after my body and 
Um, as you know, I was also had a spiritual practice myself and was, was doing that as well to sort of help manage the physiological, physiology and stress and things like that. Um, and so all of this had me really curious, again, about, about all the different ways that we could be healing ourselves beyond just medicine. By this point, I knew I was going into medical school. Um, I was in one of those, that they used to call them locked-in programs. I don't know what they call them now, where you, you got accepted to undergrad and med school right after high school. So I went to the University of Rochester. And what I loved about the program there was they were, um, they really, um, encouraged us to not major in a science and to major in other things because there's time for that in, in med school and they're really about us being well-rounded. So I basically made up a major just so that just so that I could create an avenue for me to go to India my senior year and study Ayurvedic medicine. So <laughs> I took a bunch of Eastern religion courses and medical anthropology and community medicine, um, history of medicine type courses, and then went to Kerala my senior year. Um, my One of my father's uh, relatives, his great uncle, was a very well-known Vaidyan um, healer in Ayurvedic medicine. So I was able to spend time with him as well as some other family members who taught at Ayurvedic colleges. And um, at that time was looking more at the doctor-patient relationship in Ayurvedic medicine in comparison to, to what we know in Western medicine. And um, just had a, a lovely experience there, not only learning more about Ayurveda, but um, learned a lot about yoga philosophy and um, energy healing. I think that I took my first like Reiki class uh, course at that time or something like that. And so it was a very kind of eye-opening period of time to kind of be learning about all of that. And um, so then I went into med school thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going, it was around that time when Andrew Weil and Deepak Chopra were all over Oprah. And I was like, yes, I'm going to be this like integrative medicine person. <laughs> but it still wasn't really widely accepted. And so when I got to med school, um, you know, I started like a um, integrative medicine interest group and all these things, but I was still kind of very much fringe <laughs> and out there. Um, and what I found over the course for myself over medical school was, although, you know, I was, of course, fascinated by all that Western science had to offer about the knowledge of the body, I was always a little bit more intrigued by all these other <laughs> ways of healing, particularly around mind, body, and spirit. And um, kind of the, the more and more I went through med school and through the clinical years, um, I kind of started to really feel this call from within that this was great, but this wasn't what I was meant to do, that there was something else. And I, I just didn't know how to articulate it at that time. Um, just remember feeling very frustrated and frustrated that I wasn't able to help people the way that I wanted to or knew could be possible. And um, so there was just a lot of struggle, but during that time, the one thing that really kept me grounded was my meditation practice. Um, I'd say between that and my friends and family and those social connections, that's really probably what kept me from really getting burnt out, you know, during medical school. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I continued along and um, was doing an internal medicine um, intern year and still the same, still kind of feeling that deep 
sense from within that that this wasn't what I was meant to be doing. But here I was, you know, you're still doing a good job. You know, and and um, luckily, my husband had a um, his first, like I'd mentioned to you before, his first opportunity to work abroad during that time. And so I was stuck with this dilemma of, you know, do I stay and finish out my my residency or um, take a break and join my my newly married husband and 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 go for a while and and really find out what I wanted to do. And so um, everyone in medicine thought I was crazy for leaving. <laughs> but it was funny because I, when I, all of the older attendings were like, go, you know, you, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to be older and stuck in something that you don't truly love and are passionate about. And you're a great, you know, you're a great student, great doctor. This will always be here. Like go, go and explore. And that was such Stage wonderful advice and um, so yeah so I took quite a lot uh, quite a bit of a break my, we, my husband's first assignment was back in was in India he's not Indian he's African by the way so that was a whole nother exciting <laughs> adventure for him but um, we went to India yeah and I got to explore a lot more I um, was able to delve into my meditation practice a bit more and and then also come to the realization that that um, you know, Ayurvedic medicine, I don't know how much you know about the training in, in India, the training there very much parallels medical school. So kids go to school for that same amount of time that they would have if they went to Western medical school, um, may do their internships and all that. And um, within that, and, and for Ayurvedic medicine, that push to fit into that Western model and mold, in many ways, many of the students who were coming out who were let's say my age were um again almost falling into that reductionistic mindset a bit and so even in the way they would treat and the way the pharmaceuticals were being compounded to suit you know and um some of that spirit around collaborating with the patient um and really connecting with them and being present with them was sort of being lost um, by this time when we went back, my that grand uncle that I'd studied with had passed away. But when I was there, he there's this term um, called yukti uh, in Sanskrit, which is one of the characteristics of a, a physician. And it's kind of that last little piece that sometimes gets translated as magic or... Um, but it's, you know, it, it could also be thought of just the wisdom that comes with practice and, and age and understanding. But also, my uncle used to say, it's also that wisdom that arises when you're really truly present with somebody. So when, when you're there with them and seeing them in their wholeness and understanding, then naturally you are able to, not only you helping them, but you're, you're facilitating them sort of coming up with some of the answers around what might help them. And so it's that, that bit of being really present. So it was that little piece that I felt too was not for everybody, but at least in, in the medic, Ayurvedic medical schools and things that I was getting exposed to was sort of missing. And so then it was like, oh, well, maybe that, maybe this, what I thought was it isn't it. Maybe there's still something else that I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then, um, then life comes in, we, I got pregnant and he got another assignment and we, you know, so we decided to, at that point I was like, oh, I'm just going to spend time being a mom and having my kids and did that. And so then when we were moving back to the U S um, for me to finish residency, 
Um, by that time, it had been quite a span of, of years, six or seven years was that break. And so, so much had already changed in medicine. So now there was starting to become, um, you know, more um, interest in prevent preventive medicine and lifestyle and all these kind of things. And so many of my peers had already finished residency at this point. And they're like, oh, hey, you know, have you heard of these preventive medicine residency programs, this like seems like it's right up your alley because it's more around um, wellness and health promotion and all these kind of more environmental and holistic aspects of health. And so I went, um, re did, you know, researched those and decided to, to do that when we came back. So um, when we came back home for me to do my training, fortunately, my program director was really open to me kind of pursuing these interests and mind body healing and spirituality and medicine and so he allowed me to take um, courses elsewhere so I went to Harvard and did their week-long training over there um, with um, their group over there and he let me take some uh, courses in um, clinical psych in our graduate program where I came across one of the psychiatry attendings there who was teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction um, so, uh, she sort of became my mentor during training and I took MBSR with her. And for those of you who, who you listeners who might not know what MBSR is, um, it's an eight week course that meets for about two and a half hours, two and a half to three hours each session. And it also includes a full day retreat for participants that basically explores, um, mindfulness and mindful living and establishing formal and informal practices to kind of help people become more connected to their presence and awareness uh, through different health concerns. It originally was um, developed to help those with chronic pain, but then has been expanded now um, to, to many different um, patient populations um, and applications. So, when I took my first MBSR class with her, I was like, oh my gosh, I found my home because here was this way for me to finally integrate what I knew was so helpful for me with my meditation in this validated way within medicine. Because when I was in medical school, if I wanted to share medicine with my patients, I think <laughs> people would have just like written me off, right? But then come 10, 15 years later, and now there was so much more support around it. Um, and so, um, I was really fortunate to kind of be mentored by her and had had the chance to sort of co-teach with her um, and really started to um, feel like I finally had a place within my profession, um, which was really nice. And so from that training time onwards, I sort of focused my clinical practice around mindfulness. And I really, um, I really feel that it, it has an important place, not, not just for this, the, the stress at relief aspect of it, but really in terms of, um, again, helping us to get to know ourselves and our deepest, our intentions and motivations to kind of help us with those, um, help us to live more whole, in more wholesome ways and to make choices that really align with our health and to serve us and those around us. Um, as part of my clinical training, you know, in terms of lifestyle medicine, we got trained in motivational interviewing and, and working with people on setting goals. And so when I worked in the uh, family practice office that I was in, every time people would come to see me, I'd work with them on setting a goal, you know, um, 
whether it was something around nutrition or physical activity or, or something related to that. And many times people couldn't, weren't quite ready to do that, you know. And so one of my attendings was, um, used to suggest, well, I, I would just ask them what makes them happy and have them set a goal around that. And so, you know, I started doing that and I'd, and I'd ask, you know, what, what's something that makes you happier that really feeds your soul that you haven't done lately and you wish you could do more of? And I was just amazed at how much that stumped people. You know, pe people would sit there and look dumbfounded or, you know, I don't know, can you tell me? And I was like, yeah. I can't answer that for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so how disconnected we are from even those things that can really bring us deep joy and how can we expect patients to make all these huge life changes when they can't even really um, connect with what's really bringing them happiness. And so, you know, that really reinforced to me how important, um, how important this work around mindfulness and compassion really can be within healthcare overall. Um, I think it supports so much, whether it's supporting healing, supporting lifestyle change or whatever that is um, to help people along that journey of, of wellness. Well, there are so many parts of your journey that I want to talk about actually, but so I'm going to have to have you back on to talk about Ayurveda and like deep dive into that because there's yeah. so much there but one thing that i feel like aligns with the ayurvedic approach is taking your time and mm. letting something be slow medicine that continues to improve each season and season of life and that's one thing that i've learned about healing from my own um, education in ayurveda and i've really cherished but I feel like with you, it's so tempting and uh, I don't know, like we just want everything to, we want to know everything right now and we want to be there right now. And it's like, especially when you're approaching something like a medical degree, that's already a long period of time. <laughs> so I can imagine yes. that that desire to just figure it out and get through it was there, but there's so much wisdom in checking in, making sure you're still in alignment with what you want to do. And if that is the wisest path moving forward, because chances are, if you would have moved through that traditionally, you would not be where you are today. No, absolutely your not. Career <laughs> and also in your own happiness, it'd actually take you longer to get here if you would have. I mean Done that My route. husband and I talk about this all the time because, you know, growing up, and both of us are to some extent, hard workers, perfectionists, and the field, that field of medicine kind of attracts that type of person too, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so it was really hard for me when I was healing, hearing that call because, of course, you're in your 20s and, oh, and the parents and expectations and... <laughs> And yeah. you couldn't, you know, then that, that, that disbelief that, you know, that I could actually be, and there, I could have, in theory, it could have been a big mess, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, how, how do you stay grounded and centered? And, and I, I think, you know, my husband and I actually were just talking about this. I think perhaps being, having, being sick when I was younger really perhaps connected me to that knowing of when I was feeling safe and grounded within me. 
So I very easily knew when I was straying away from that. And so kind of that, that inner wisdom, I think, um, to stay, to stay connected to it itself takes a lot of work and, um, takes a lot of, of courage, but so much support from the people around you too. I think I, I was really lucky that my husband was super supportive. My, even though my parents didn't like me taking these little breaks or not staying on that path, um, you know, they were also so loving and supportive. So I, I think it's a combination of things really. Um, it's that interconnection, that, 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 that openness to kind of trust and that things will, will fall into place. Um, um, but yeah, I, and that, that supportive environment, you know, lean, being able to lean into that too, I think is really important. Yeah. It's like, there's two parts to it. It's the, the recognizing it and noticing, and then the, and then saying yes to that. I think that's yeah. like the key part. And I think that's where a lot of um, dysfunction comes from mentally, emotionally, physically is when we hear it and we know it and we decide otherwise based off of yeah. so many different choices. And so it really, it is challenging. And I think it's, it's getting easier in some ways because we're growing as a whole of our, the importance of approaching things holistically, but it's definitely, we're still going up against the that increasing fast pace and comparison and needing to be where we need to be. So I just think it's a beautiful representation of what you offer people, uh, your whole holistic and health journey, because um, yeah, we can all apply that to our, our situation and make those, yeah. those calls. That's not to say that I'm always, you know, because I, it's an ongoing thing, right? Like I just heard yes. you talk about comparisons. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for your listeners who are listening, uh, Randy and I met because I also um, co-teach with Tiffany Cruikshank. Uh, I teach the meditation parts of her um, 500-hour modules. And, you know, as I started teaching with Tiffany, she's like, you've got to get on Instagram. Because <laughs> I, I had not yes. been on Instagram. I think you had just started when I met you. (laughs) I I did. I just started like a few months before I met you because she was like, oh, like, you know, the students will love to kind of just see what your life is like. I was like, oh, no, I can't do that because I, you know, (laughs) Instagram is so foreign to me. So, you know, and then I joined it and it it was good that I did because now I have a children's book coming out as Mm -hmm. as you know. And so for that too, there's a lot of the marketing and things around books and for authors happens to there, but you know, when I first joined and even now, I cannot believe how much is on there, how much content. Mm-hmm. It is just so easy to get sucked in. Oh, and then the comparison bit to see what everybody else is doing. <laughs> and, and, then, and then I find myself with that as well. It's, it's an ongoing journey, really, um, you know, of, of that, oh, what should I be doing this? Or what would, what does the medical world expect of me? And mm-hmm. what am I feel And well, do I really need that validation anyway? (laughs) Yeah. It's actually um, sometimes fun to sit back and watch yourself in those moments. (laughs) I know. Very humbling. (laughs) Yes, it is a never-ending journey, which is why it's so important to have these tools in your tool belt that you can use when you get around to noticing it (laughs) when it happens. So could you share maybe more of what mindfulness is and what makes something a mindful 
activity. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the word mindfulness as we know it now, well, it was originally translated from um, the Sanskrit word smriti or the Pali word sati. Pali was the language in the time and place of where Buddha was. Um, and so those words smriti and sati mean remembrance. And so when they're used within the context of their philosophies, it's really talking about this um, deep remembrance that's sort of full of knowing and being. So it's um, really that remembrance of our shared human capacity for awareness and presence through life. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of the broader, I guess, mindfulness with a capital M. <laughs> and then uh, as it's now been taken and looked at and studied more from a healthcare capacity or, you know, all these other psychology and all these different aspects, um, you know, again, in that Western reductionist way to sort of put, define it more, um, it's really sort of been in some ways sometimes um, put, in that, put in that sphere of, and this is probably the definition that more people are familiar with, with it, which is in terms of that, um, that awareness that's coming from that space of non-reactivity, present moment awareness, um, um, a place of non-judgmentalness. Um, so with, with a more discerning, clear seeing aspect, equanimity to it. Um, but, but really when you think of mindfulness in its fullest capacity, it's, it's that and, it's that and that ability to be with and that self-compassion and compassion piece as well. So um, I would say that's really what, a, what mindfulness is. That's that, that, that remembrance of, of our really, our, our fullness of our ways of being and knowing. And um, when we talk about what makes something mindful, um, so, you know, really in that awareness, it's that, that piece of being able to pay attention. So attending to life and it's doing so um, with certain uh, qualities of mind and heart, right? So it's um, inviting certain attitudes along with us that sort of help the blossoming of our full attention. So things like, um, patience and kindness, as well as trusting, trusting into ourselves, into the process, um, a bit of courage, um, uh, inviting, inviting that idea of non-judgmentalness, um, meaning we're still going to categorize things, but can we, can we sort of let go of that, that need to kind of be with those categorizations and um, uh, just sort of being with life unfolding mindfully, whether you're sitting still or moving or eating or showering or whatever that yeah. is. So. Yeah, I think this is very important to start considering as we move. Well, at the time of this airs, it'll be around Christmas time, which is a lot of family time for better or worse, or, you know, having to go to work parties or things that you don't really, that will maybe trigger some things. And so how can you move into a situation and take these great ideas of being mindful and compassionate and intentional and really apply it in a given moment. And I know that is where like your personal practice comes in. So you have some fuel, but um, do you have any insights on maybe how to start making that a, a tangible practice and how you can really apply it to your situations? Yeah. So I, lo I love that you re were remembering that Randy about how important that, um, 
that your own personal practices to that um, because the more we sort of practice remembering or practice you know yoga means connection right so the more we're practicing that connection to our wholeness the more we're remembering that the more we're able to tap into that in those moments right and and so some of the the ways that we can um you know practice that can of course be all all the formal kind of things you might hear about whether it's meditation or or yoga or whatnot but you know it doesn't even have to be some long practice that you're engaging in it can be something simple and so now you're talking about the holiday season and these are the, our days for to be to be grateful and and connect to that generosity of our kindness and our heart and that spirit within and so um you know we're just moving away from thanksgiving where it was really all about those gratitude practices and what we're grateful for but it's not just in the recounting of the gratitude it's that but but it's also allowing ourselves to kind of feel into what gratitude feels like and feel into what generosity feels like and allow ourselves to sort of soak it in that's part of the practice right paying attention to what does that feel like in yoga it's that embodiment how how is that embodiment impacting us and things that we're learning from neuroscience and positive psychology are really that that's actually where some of the the good stuff is happening that's actually when we begin to sort of tap into that relaxation response in the body when we're beginning to have all that integration happening within the brain is in that period of time that we're lingering and being with and soaking in all that goodness of gratitude or generosity of heart or whatever that is so um so you know even even along things get busy so even if you don't have the time to necessarily start a new practice it could just be forming an intention to um you know if you forming an intention to connect with things you're grateful for every morning or every night and not just recounting them but to really get a sense of um what it feels like to be with that thing that you're grateful for or when you are being generous and sharing something what it what it's feeling like what are the sensations that it brings up in my body what are the emotions that begin to arise and allowing yourself to sort of linger there just just for five breaths five to 10 breaths you know that gives you almost a minute there of hanging out in that space and even that can sometimes be enough to to provide that fuel that you were saying to kind of get you through and then when you're in those moments maybe you connect maybe you don't but there's all sorts of great tools that are out there really for things to remember in the moment um I, something that i teach in the mindfulness classes you know there's all sorts of mnemonics that you can use to kind of help you in those moments and One of my favorite ones is one that's offered by Amy Salsman. She's a physician who's created mindfulness programming for children and teens. Um and she has this acronym PEACE and the P is for pause, uh E is for exhaling, so just breathing, exhaling. A is for allowing, so allowing what's happening to unfold. So pause, exhale, allow. And the C is for um a bunch of things so allowing yourself to sort of connect with your presence to allow for some clarity maybe to unfold with what's going on um to connect with some sort of creativity within or she has, she of you know, teaching children and for us i think this is a good reminder the comedy that can then be there we often take ourselves too seriously in those moments especially at the holidays mm-hmm. we want yes. to be in control of everything so it's it's allowing for that and and 
and the compassion for ourselves. So you can also be for compassion. So, and then finally, choosing that's creating that space for choosing our response. And then the final E of peace is engaging with whatever it is that you that you're choosing. So pausing, exhaling, accepting, compassion, courage, all those things, and then choosing and then engaging. So I don't know if mnemonics are helpful for everybody. They certainly are for for me. So that's I like it. Moments that can sometimes you just remember peace. Yeah, <laughs> peace, 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 peace. <laughs> the more you the more you engage the formal practices. So whether it was like we were talking about before, that remembrance of remembrance of what it feels like to be generous of heart or grateful, um, or whether it is whatever you already have going, a breathing practice, your yoga, your whatever, the more we engage in those formal practices, the more we are able to sort of connect with it in those those daily moments of life. And you can practice informally too. So it could be while you're wrapping your gifts or doing whatnot, just practicing, connecting with what it feels like in that moment, you know, to be wrapping this gift for somebody and anticipating what they're going to feel like as they open, you know, all those, all those things are little ways during the day to, to connect. Yeah. I find that the breath really is the biggest connector for me mm-hmm. is just taking that deep mindful breath to hit the pause button to the mm-hmm. refresh button and to just be like, Oh, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm feeling. You know, it really can be as simple as taking a one mindful breath and it can set you on a different trajectory for how you're going about your business. And and doing it mindfully. I think that's Mm -hmm. the piece. We can all take a deep breath in and out, right? But it's, can I, can I be with myself in, in that whole phase of it, you know? And so, Mm -hmm. and so we know, right. And you know, this from yoga when, you know, as we deepen our exhale, we, we sort of tap into that relaxation, but now how can I bring my attention and my intention and all those supportive attitudes of kindness and courage and care and patience into even just that one breath? And Mm -hmm. how can that sort of help then, you know? And I think also what helps me is that there can be a duality of how we're feeling in any given moment. Mm. And that like, just because you are feeling anxious or annoyed or, you know, whatever you're feeling, you can also harness those other positive things. It doesn't mean you have to be this perfect being to harness all the compassion and love and gratitude. It's just like, you're bringing those aspects also into your worldview at the moment so you can approach something in a healthier way. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think a lot of times what I see when people begin a mindfulness practice, for example, as your awareness increases, you suddenly do become more aware of all these things, all these things that are irritating you, but even all these things that irritate you about yourself, you know, you <laughs> those moments, it's like, damn it, I'm trying to be grateful. Yeah. Like you said, that duality of, of actually how inclusive can I be to all of this? So maybe I'm not feeling this gratitude crap right now, <laughs> yeah. but, but can I even hold that with some kindness and care? Mm-hmm. Is that something I can even be with, even if I'm not feeling all warm and gushy? Yeah. What happens if I can just be with that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's really helpful and it can, it starts to build that muscle of, of what true self-compassion is. It's not just yeah. thinking positive thoughts about yourself. It's thinking 
positive thoughts about all of who you are, you know, and yeah. accepting. Caring, caring for yeah. yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. it. I find when I'm in situations, I, I, I'm in my own head about stuff or I'm getting, going to a family gathering and I'm like, oh, I don't have time. And there's all these other things I need to do. And I, I love my family and we have a blast together, but it's like, we, there's, I can make it, I can turn it into a negative experience with all of just my other gobbledygook going on. And so I try to like, in the moment, have this like step out of my body and just really have an outsider's view of what's actually happening. And I'm like, how lucky am I to be gathering with my family right now? Like in all this other stuff that I'm worrying about. And even, you know, if there was little tips going on in, in a family environment, it's like, we still love each other. We're still all yeah. here and we can enjoy each other's company and all that other stuff I was worrying about doesn't really matter in comparison. So it's really getting that, the practice of really observing. And, and Well, what it sounds like to me in that moment was you sort of allowing for that remembrance of what mattered most mm-hmm. to you. Yeah, you, I love you that just word. You connected to your intention, your mm-hmm. deepest truth in that moment. You know, but too, you know, I think holidays, as much as they are about the generosity of heart, sometimes, sometimes being generous to ourselves also might mean creating healthy boundaries, and that's okay yeah. too. So, so you know, part of it is, of course, staying open to yourself and to, to those you love around you. But um, you know, sometimes there are those relationships or situations that that you know just aren't right for you in that moment, and. And it's also okay to to have some clear boundaries for yourself, you know, that that are um, if our if our hearts are too open all the time, in in many ways it would be overwhelming, right? Just as if it's too closed and tight, right. you feel lonely. So it's really allowing yourself to know your balance and and to be okay with that too. Yes. Well, in yeah. our our last few minutes together, I'd love to talk about your book that you have coming yeah. out. And it's a children's book, but I know that it can also apply to all of us. So could you share a little bit about your book and um, what it's about and how we can use it with our families and all that good stuff? So the book is called Finding Ohm, and it's being published by Barak Babies, which is an indie publisher in Boston. Um, and illustrated by Morgan Huff. And it will, uh, the pre-sales are now, and it officially comes out in May. So the book itself, um, yeah, you know, I, I recounted my whole medical journey with you. And if you told me in med school that I was going to write a children's book, I would have been like, no way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, when I'm teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction or, or doing mindfulness-type programming, um, so, so what the program that I teach for care is I call it caring with awareness and the mindfulness programming I usually teach is called um, I that I kind of put together as mindful resilience so either either one of those when I'm teaching I'm usually not bringing in um, although of course the teachings are based in all of this deep wisdom from um, the east from traditions that I grew up with and and Buddhist traditions from from across Asia as well um, I might mention that the roots are there, but I don't explicitly teach from texts or things from that um, culture because ultimately this awareness and connecting belongs to all of us and there's sources of it everywhere in all traditions. At the same time, I grew up in an Indian household and, and grew up with these practices um, 
And so, and I'm with, I'm actively sharing them with my children. Um, it's yes, it's it's part of their journey of helping them uh, connect with their mindfulness. It's also this very deep way for them to be co- connecting with their cultural heritage or part of their whole cultural heritage. Um, and so, I wanted to be able to share a piece of that as well because I think um, it's also very va- valuable to understand historical and living kind of cultural roots of this mindfulness movement that's happening right now. Um, also, um, a lo- you know, a lot of my friends were all having children around the same time and all kind of struggling with how to uh, integrate some of these traditions that we grew up with in ways that are meaningful for our kids right now in this day and age. And um, so picture books just seemed like a nice avenue to sort of explore that. This was actually an idea that my father came up with um, a couple years ago. My father has passed away now, but in his last year of life, we were fortunate to be able to live with him. My children and I moved in with my parents at that time to sort of help out and things. And um, it was the first time we'd kind of lived together day in and day out since, I don't know, since I was home in school days, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it offered him this really intimate chance, both my parents really have this intimate chance to see what I'm like as a mother, you know, day in and day out. And one thing that they both really appreciated was how much I was bringing in a lot of our traditions. Um, And he really appreciated the way that I was integrating our mantra traditions with the children in terms of, they were already learning some chanting from him and the ways we would talk about the meanings and how they related just to everyday life. and so he he had said, oh, you know, because we have all these, I was buying, at the time, buying all these books um, that were kind of retelling of our Hindu mythology for the kids. There's all these beautiful books that are coming out by my, uh, authors of my generation. And so he was like, oh, wouldn't it be neat if there was a book like this for mantras? And I was like, oh my God, I would have loved that as a kid. I, I was so obsessed with these things when I was little, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I would have loved that. And the kids were like, oh yeah, let's do that. Um, but unfortunately, like my, my father's illness got quite worse and he passed away. And so I, I kind of set that idea aside for a while and probably a, a full year after he had passed, it was around Christmas time. And my younger daughter was like, Oh, remember when Apupa had said this idea, like, let's make one, you know? And I was like, Oh yeah, let's, let's try and do write one out. <laughs> and so we actually, um, the beautiful one together, uh, Gayatri Mantra, that's our family's favorite one. And the girls love that one. And it actually came out quite beautiful. And so I was like, oh, well, maybe I could actually, maybe this could be really a thing that I could do. And so that year, I set a really firm intention around wanting to create things in whatever way. And um yeah, and just kind of stayed open to creativity. And it was one of those situations, you know, you always hear about like how authors say, oh, like something moved through me and suddenly, and I was like, oh, that's a bunch of, you know, whatever, but actually something like that. <laughs> I was like, oh, so I really awesome. think it was because I, it happened to be at a time when my husband, I was waking up a little bit earlier because my husband wanted to get uh, more aligned with his meditation practice. So I was doing a little bit of extra meditating time and I guess time intention setting too. And so I think it just opened me up and it was, you know, so I, I write, wrote, 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 wrote a bunch of books and I'm like, okay, now what do I do with this? <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> sent it around to um, 
some publishers, one of which was Lars Babies. Um, they're like, oh, this is great, but you really need to learn a little bit more about kids' books. And so I worked with their senior editor um, who kind of, you know, I there were a whole bunch of things like I didn't realize picture books were 32 pages. Did you know that before? No. It's like the mm-hmm. standard. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, wild. like so she kind of clued me in on a bunch of things. And then she was like, you know, well, actually, this introduction that you kind of wrote for parents, this could be a book. And I was like, oh. at the time, I was like, oh, how would I make that one into a book? And it was summer and the girls and I had gone from the UK back home to my parents' house. And this was the first full summer we were kind of there without my dad. And I I was feeling inspired. And again, that, that idea of, oh, this should be, Ohm should be the center of this one. And one thing after another kind of um, felt, kind of fell into place with my family sort of being the the characters and just building the story around our direct experiences with my dad and uh, for the girls in terms of what unfolds for them when they're meditating. Um, And so that's kind of how this book sort of came into creation, the manuscript of it anyway. Um, And then we went forward with finding an illustrator and all that which was a fun process and so the book itself sort of is is my older daughter Anu um, exploring the mantra Om with my father Um, and it's sort of her playing around with it he just gives her a very you know brief ideas of how she might explore that and the much of the book is kind of her exploration of it Um, and it was fun in the she's she's 11 now um, but in the book, um, it's her around the age of like five or six. And my younger daughter, Priyanka, was like, had just turned seven when we were writing this. So a lot of it is just like her words in many ways of of what was happening. Um, and it's nothing like, extra- I don't think my kids are extraordinary or special in any way. I think this is just kids really have so much to teach us. You know, I think we make these practices so complicated sometimes when for them, it's like, their interpretations, their words don't get in the way. They're just straight about what they're feeling and sensing. And love is just the centerpiece of everything for them, you know, at that age. And so um, I I learned so much from them. And really, it's their hearts that are kind of retelling the story in many ways. So That's wonderful. And that definitely is in alignment with what I try to remind people with about self-care in general, keeping it simple, keeping it yeah. intentional. And really trusting the simple practices to have profound effects on who we are and what we can access. And if we make it too complicated, we're really missing out on what it's really about. So I'm very excited for your book to come out. Um, So it's not, it'll be out in May. People can pre-order, which is really beneficial which is really beneficial. So there's so much that I learned about literature doing this. I didn't, I I didn't know this at all before getting into it, but how important this pre-sales period is, especially for smaller indie publishers, you know, the big publishing houses have their, all their marketing budget and all that. But for, for these smaller publishing houses, the pre-sales is really important for, you know, raising funds for that printing of that first edition or whatnot. And Barth Babies is a beautiful publishing house. They have a wonderful collection of books there. Um, committed to creating um, diverse stories for children. And a lot of them are centered around the South Asian experience of South Asian diaspora and kids from South Asia as well. So 
it's a lovely publishing house. And they've also um, committed to not only increasing the diversity in children's literature, but also um, with um, increasing accessibility to books. So with every book launch, they're running this campaign to um, also raise books to be able to be given to kids in need. So for literacy advocacy groups and stuff that work with um, inner city schools or kids that don't have access to as many books and things like that as well. So if you go on their website, you can pre-order a book for yourself. You can donate a sponsor copy as well. So lots oh, that's of wonderful. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And I'd say it's an important book for all cultures, no matter What's the situation yeah, you're in? Because I know absolutely. that your family has different cultures in it. So that was part of the motivation as well. Yeah. So my my husband grew up Catholic. And um, so, yeah, so we are an interfaith family. So we really teach the kids about everything, including religions that aren't our own. Uh, they actually went to the Jewish Community Center for daycare and preschool. And so they they actually have memorized a bunch of Jewish prayers as well. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> really, you know, and, and right now they're going to um, uh, um, a Christian school, you know, so they, they're learning a lot about Catholicism and different things too. And so what's been wonderful in the UK is compared to the US is religious education is mandatory from kindergarten through 12 and it's called religious education and world philosophies. So they actually go through all of the religions and talk about different age appropriate things and at each of the cultural uh, or religious festivals they talk about each of those and the meanings behind it so it's been a lovely way for my kids to explore it but at home really the way that the way that we have started the exploration of spirit is really around yoga and mindfulness philosophy which is really just about that self-inquiry and connecting to that inner presence and awareness and so it's from there then that we kind of explore a lot of these other things so it's absolutely applicable to anyone um and then to say too that um with it being about the mantra om om is something too that's like all over the place now in many mm-hmm. ways right um but i felt like too it was important to share although yes om is the sound and is thought is is a sound that's there across cultures it too is something that a big part of the world does hold sacred and and has a lot of um, beautiful practices around. And so this is just a sharing of how one culture, you know, appreciates these practices and integrates them, whether that's right for everyone who reads it or not, I don't know. So, but just to even see and share in an experience, I think can be really valuable for everyone. Okay. So you need to come back on to talk about Ayurveda and sharing cultures and all sorts of other stuff. So yeah, we have more things to cover. Um, Just so you know, be calling you back. Um, (laughs) But thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your journey and all that you have. And you, you're very humble, but you actually have so much to share with the world. And I'm so grateful that the time has come for you now to, <laughs> it's all coming together where you can share your experiences and, and enrich us with your experience and knowledge. So mm-hmm. thank you. And I'll, and you, you are doing some more stuff online. People can find, I mean, you, you are on Instagram. I am on Instagram. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> And and I am doing some stuff online and there'll be more stuff coming out with yoga medicine too that mm-hmm. I have online as well. So yeah. Okay, so we can 
keep watch. Uh, yes. But uh, <laughs> absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much. And I'll let you get back to tending to your, your girls and yeah. doing all that you do. So sounds good. It was so nice to catch up with you, Randy. And thank you for all that you're doing with your podcast. It's wonderful. So please connect with Rashmi on Instagram and her website. And again, I'll list how you can find her and her book, Finding Ohm, in the show notes at naturallyrandyk.com slash podcast. And I'm going to be adding some bonus audio meditations to the Patreon page. So you may know that this podcast is listener supported and it's done so through Patreon. So just for a few dollars a month, you can support the production of this podcast and also get access to all of the free bonuses. So I'm going to provide some meditations that I've recorded that are really great uh, for belly breathing and full body relaxation. And that will be over at patreon.com slash simple self care. Okay. That's all I've got for you today. I wish you a happy holiday season and a happy new year. And I'll be back in a few weeks with another bonus episode and then starting season five. Oh my goodness. Uh, end of January, beginning of February. We'll see how it pans out. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Randy Kay, a holistic wellness practitioner and educator. Through my online resources and one-on-one mentoring programs, I teach women holistic ways to tune into their inner wisdom and establish healing seasonal practices so they can know how to heal their own pain and feel healthy and at home from the inside out. And until we meet again, take good care and enjoy the journey.